Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Appledore Research Podcast. My name is Robert Curran, Consulting Analyst with Appledore. As ever, we're here to share insights on the transformation of telecom in the era of cloud, network automation, and AI. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Now, enjoy the show. If the technical impact of softwareization and cloud on telecom had to be summed up in a single word, perhaps that word would be orchestration. As conventional OSS and to some extent BSS become the new legacy, orchestration has become the defining capability or characteristic of a truly modern telecom business. So much so that telecom provider Lumen, at a corporate level briefing over a year ago, referred to orchestration as its secret sauce. Considering that much of the last 20 years was spent largely unsuccessfully trying to talk up OSS from a back office function to a business enabler, it might feel a little rich for orchestration to arrive late and start taking all the credit. Is that a fair reflection? And if so, how is orchestration changing the landscape in the network automation software market? To help me explore the importance of orchestration in telecom, I'm delighted to be joined today by Grant Lenahan, partner and principal analyst with Appledore. Hey, Grant, how are you today? Doing well, Robert. I know you've been covering the orchestration space uh, for quite a few years already. So I'd really like to start with trying to nail down what orchestration really is. There seem to be a bunch of definitions and perspectives. Can you can you help untangle those and make sense of orchestration? Uh, that would be a, a, a great start. We'll see if I can. Uh, let's start with what it's not. Right. So for too long, the industry has looked at silos like uh, provisioning and fulfillment and assurance and, and capacity management and treated them separately. And the first thing I want to say is orchestration will fail on, you know, its longer term objectives if you view it as the next generation fulfillment uh, and provisioning. It's not that. Let's think about it a little differently. It's, it's a process or a method that allows for interactive, model-driven, intelligent actions to be taken at various points in a service's life cycle. Might be as simple as it's a brand new service. You've got to provision Robert on the network. It might be more complicated because you see that it should be delivering X bandwidth and it's not, you need to do something. Or it might be it's residing on server XYZ and server XYZ is beginning to generate alarms and you need to do something. So it's, it's a reactive, intelligent process. And it's a single process across fulfillment and provisioning of users and healing and capacity expansion. And that's something people really need to get into their heads. That the key to good orchestration are good models that say what's going on at various points in a services life cycle or a workloads life cycle or whatever it is. Does that, I mean, you talked about workloads there. And so, I mean, that takes us into this territory of, uh, of telecom workloads and how telecom workloads maybe are, are the same and maybe different from, you know, workload in a conventional enterprise setting. Um, is orchestration the same or different in a telecom context than than maybe the way it's used in a you know enterprise IT you know large uh, you know multinational banking corporation? Is, are these different or, or are they the same? 
Uh, it's a great question, Robert. Um, and I, and I, I don't mean that in the classic uh, polite way. It, it is truly a great question because the industry has been rather polarized. There's a bunch of IT folks saying, oh, telecom's just a bunch of old school, hidebound, five nines guys. And I mean guys because it's that hidebound that, that don't want to adopt modern methods. And that, I'm going to say why that's unfair in a moment. But I also want to turn that around and say, at its core, the basic ideas of cloud-native workload and service management are 100% transferable from IT into telecom. So what's different in telecom? It's really basic blocking and tackling stuff. We're actually typically not running workloads. We're moving packets around. The workloads are packet handlers, mostly. The other thing is, you know, Google and Azure and all of these companies will brag about how they've centralized millions of servers in data centers that are bigger than football fields. Well, if you just walk outside your house or apartment and down the street, you'll find that telecom has tiny little boxes, sometimes sunk in the earth, sometimes up on a pole with tiny amounts of resources. So you don't have this huge pool of infinite capacity. And in fact, something becomes really, really important, and that is location. And we refer that to, uh, to that as edge. I don't think people always think about what edge really means, though. It's simple, and yet the, in that simplicity is a lot of complexity. Uh, you've mentioned edge. You know, are we in kind of chicken and egg territory here? Uh, which comes first? Does the orchestration come first or does the edge strategy come first? Or when, when did orchestration start being a big thing for, for, for telecom? So I think this has been the slow burn. Uh, I mean, I published some research on cloud native and telecom, really looking at orchestration and, and management methods back in 2016, 2017. Uh, you know, the, the, the telecom industry thought, that, thought they had this solved when they uh, published the uh, uh, the, the VNF, uh, you know, white paper, the vir virtualization white paper, and came up with some some standards. And by the way, if you go back to that white paper, it anticipated all of the complexity that's there today. Problem is, nobody got the white paper, and they focused on setting up virtualization as opposed to achieving automation. And automation's the goal. Intelligent automation is the goal. You know, orchestration is just some software that we use to get there. Um, but it has really been a very slow roll. Uh, finally, somewhere in the 2017, 2018 area, we started looking more seriously at closed loops and, and cloud native. And, and yet, even up until a couple of years ago, uh, I was finally seeing announcements about being able to handle cloud native, for example, down in VNF workloads and begin, beginning to handle, um, you know, geographical diversity when you start talking about location. And it, it was really gobsmacking me to realize that people had essentially been sweeping this under the table for quite a few years and are really now tackling those problems. So I believe what we've seen is a slow rollout for two reasons. One is maybe people didn't really truly internalize all the complexity. And I think the second one's really simple. This is a huge, huge undertaking. And reasonable people said, well, you know, I'm going to bite this off one bite at a time, do the basics, then add the next level of complexity. And maybe that's wise. Maybe we shouldn't be kicking people when they're working hard trying to solve this. But I think everybody needs to keep their eye on the ball 
that granular, cloud-native, intent-based, all of these words that get a little scary are all really necessary in the long run, even if we don't solve them all immediately and today in one step. So it's good to hear some of the case for the defense in telecom um, when it comes to speed <laughs> and, and rate of change, uh, you know, it's, it, as you say, it, it is, it is complex. And a lot of the language that you're using here really is unfamiliar uh, in a telecom context. So, so perhaps we ought to probably give the telcos a little bit of a break. That's fair enough. So I totally agree, Robert. Uh, in fact, one of the things that, you know, I think we need to recognize is telecom also has some somewhat higher standards in that you don't have a lot of duplicate capacity, for example, in the access facilities, whether it's uh, a radio tower that covers a cell or whether it's the fiber that goes to your neighborhood or the uh, one or two pairs or coax or whatever that comes into an office building, a shop or a dwelling unit. Um, You need to be a bit more careful on some of these workloads because they they need to be up 100% of the time or as close to it as we can get. And it's not as simple as saying, yeah, move it to the server next door when it fails. So not only uh, does telecom have some challenges, but they also have some high standards that people truly expect. And look at what happened in COVID, just to give the industry another boost. Um, We all switched from offices to virtual, and for the most part, um, the network performed extremely reliably. And while it was swept under the, the covers a little bit, I, in fact, posted some data from a couple of big manufacturers that showed that the biggest problem people had, and they didn't even realize it, was not their broadband. It was the Wi-Fi routers and, and networks in their own homes right, mm-hmm. that were mm-hmm. not delivering what the telecom network yeah. could. Yeah. Nokia was a, was a, collected some phenomenal data on network performance that they, they shared with me uh, early mm-hmm. and, and allowed me to, uh, to use. Yeah. One of the things that you you've indicated there is the you know, the prior knowledge, prior experience in that enterprise IT networking context. And, and I'm wondering again, from a market point of view, from a market landscape point of view, are we seeing uh, you know some of the you know established IT vendors uh, with expertise in orchestration making inroads in the telecom context, or or are we seeing you know specialist telecom orchestrator? companies kind of coming to the fore? How how is that mix kind of shaping up? Um, That's absolutely true. In fact, let's go back even farther so that we can see where different entrants are coming from, because you are correct. This technological change is opening up the market. It's not just the traditional players that have the expertise. They may have the domain expertise in telecom, but others outside the industry may have more experience in the new orchestration process and in something that comes from way back, control theory. Uh, All of this orchestration closed loop stuff comes from control theory, and that comes from negative feedback in electronics and controlling ballistics for the military. And that's where a lot of the early expertise came from. So first of all, there's good old-fashioned academic knowledge that can be applied to this. And we're seeing some small startups coming into the market like that. I mean, we've seen, you know, companies coming out of nowhere like Robin IO in, in Rakuten. And, you know, we've seen in Manta coming out of academic research. As you pointed out, though, we also are now seeing the giant IT 
companies, the IBMs, the Oracles, the Hewlett Packard Enterprises of the world, uh, bringing orchestration in with more of a software as opposed to a network view. Is this always good? Well, this is probably a two-edged sword. There are certainly companies that are traditionalists that know a little bit more about the ins and outs of how service flows occur in telecom, maybe a little bit more about radio and optical networks. Uh, but we are seeing really interesting innovation by some of the big IT players and some of the midsize IT players as well. So, yes, uh, this is becoming an incredibly competitive market. Grant, in the introduction, I, uh, I posed a question about how orchestration was changing the landscape. And, and part of what I was thinking there was, was understanding how it's changing the buying behavior of telecom companies. What are they spending on? What are they not spending on? How is that shifting and, and, and to what extent? Um, can you help kind of put some numbers around the orchestration space as a market? And the other point uh, I, I know I, I want to explore with you is, is this question of why orchestration is important. Um, ultimately, w- you know, why would a telco say, you know, orchestration is the big thing we got to do this year? Um, how does that connect up with wider business? I know that's a long, that's a long set of questions, two in one, but, but let's kind of talk, talk to them through if we can. Well, let me answer that in reverse order because I think the fundamentals is what does it do for the telcos, right? And from that derives, what are they willing to spend to, to address that? And I think there are two huge benefits for the telcos. One is innovation and incremental revenue, right? There's a lot of talk about network slicing, but that's really delivering customized private or semi-private uh, and, and highly uh, tailored networks to their enterprise customers, right? And we're already seeing that, not in network slicing per se, but in the new dynamic, secure, cloud-connected enterprise WAN model, which I've been covering for years. It started, you know, with my SD-WAN research, which I quickly realized was much broader than SD-WAN. It's really a new model. And it requires a company to take on the end-to-end, secure, reconfigurable WAN for companies that are now taking their workloads out of the basement and putting them in the public cloud and need to connect to third parties and reconfigure the things rapidly. And this became, again, really useful during COVID as distributed work environments started becoming much more valuable. Uh, In fact, we have some research out, which just a top line shows about 101 billion in entirely new, not not just new generation, but entirely new revenues that the telcos can address. And these are just the areas that uh, I uh, was able to concretely identify as opportunities. There are probably quite larger amounts of revenues that hopefully we'll be able to identify as they uh, become more concrete. The second area is if we look at communications carriers, and this goes back to research that I published in 2015, 2016. I know uh, our colleague Patrick is reusing them in some upcoming research as well and updating them, not just reusing them. The vast majority of telco's money is spent on OPEX. It's people in trucks with wrenches and customer service and fixing things. And to the degree that we can automate, we can, first of all, drive down a lot of those costs. Second of all, we can be much more responsive as an industry to needs of customers, which allows us to get more market share. 
So this operational efficiency is not just a huge cost savings. I mean, hundreds of billions available in cost savings, but also a way to get more market share, which is more money. Now, what does that translate into? That translate in, translates into a lot of spending on automation and orchestration. It's a distributed market, though. A lot of it right now, if you read, for example, our network uh, automation software forecast, breaks down where the early segments are and where the later segments are. A lot of the earlier segments, uh, make no mistake, are in support for complex traditional technologies like RAMs, 4G and 5G, and transport networks, optical networks, and SD-WAN, and other areas like that. Uh, and this includes things like SAN, self-optimizing networks. But we're also now seeing those domains, as we call them, being linked together for end-to-end -end services, like that enterprise WAN or like a network slice. And that market um, is growing quite rapidly. That's beginning to take off and capture market share from other areas. I also want to emphasize that key aspects of orchestration is the intelligence that feeds into it. And that's fundamentally AI ops and inventory. So those markets that used to be very separate are now tied into it. it goes back to something we said at the beginning of the conversation. Um, this is not next generation fulfillment. This is a healing capacity management fulfillment process. And therefore all of the uh, assurance data collection and thresholds and triggers and things that our colleague Patrick Kelly covers in his AI ops stream are critically driving this market and revenues that are, are very closely associated with it. So, I, I mean, it sounds to me like the perspective here is really encouraging people to see orchestration as a foundational capability, uh, not just something that's architectural or the kind of the latest version of, you know, fad, if you like, on, on our systems you would build, much more important than that. Uh, and to your point there, uh, much more interconnected with other other parts of the business, other parts of the business processes and other systems around it. We're going to be having orchestration systems for the next 20 years, uh, you know, seems like the kind of picture you're painting here. Is that is that really how you see orchestration? Yes. In fact, if we look at uh, the history of legacy software, it's probably 40 years, not 20. Uh, <laughs> things change slowly. Uh, but uh, to, not to put too fine a point on it, Robert, I mean, you, you said a mouthful there. Um, when you talked about don't don't view it as a silo, um, because this also impacts how companies are organized and managed. If you have an assurance department and a NOC or a SOC, and you have a fulfillment department and they're separate, you know, you've created two competing organizations that are going to think of orchestration differently. And yet, if you want to get all the benefits, they need to be one. So there are, there are impacts on the underlying organizational structure. And, you know, we, we've worked with clients such as Sedona, which is now part of Cisco, mm -hmm. Nokia, which is a major, you know, IP and optical vendor and Sienna. And all of them have recounted challenges to delivering as much value as they were capable of because clients had organizations for fiber optics and another organization for IP. And sure. frankly, the two didn't want to merge because that meant there would only be one boss. Hmm. Um, 
I'm probably turning up the contrast a little bit, but it's a real problem, right? Um, yeah. You go back to Alfred Chandler, right? Famous book, Strategy and Structure. And uh, we're seeing that right here. The structure is impeding the best next generation strategy. This challenge of how the organization changes uh, is one that seems to be pretty much everywhere at the moment. Uh, you know, we've done a lot of work on the technical front, but the organizational shift and change uh, is so necessary now, and that, that has to be part of any strategy. Uh, and orchestration sounds like just another just another area where that's that also holding true. Just remind me the title of your research module. So the, the main research module that this is contained in is my research stream on network automation. Uh, and it, and it, control, it, it contains information on orchestration and control loops and best practices for this. We've covered intent. We've covered control theory. Um, you know, in fact, I, I encourage our clients and new clients not just to look at the current output, but to go back into the history and get some of the real foundational work that it all builds on. Grant, that's been really helpful. Thanks very much for your time today. I know we'll be talking again real soon. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Grant. Thank you very much, Robert. You too. You have been listening to the Appledore Research Podcast. Join us next time for more insights and conversation on the transformation of technology.